What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the Dow crashes 799 points in one day. Welcome to the Trump slump. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Bad news on the economic front. Here we go on a Wednesday, Wednesday, December 5. Thank you, Donald. It is the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. I know it's a federal holiday. All the uh, federal agencies are closed. Not even any postal delivery today. All across the country, federal agencies are closed. But uh, we can't afford to take the day off because we know that you want to know what's going on today here in our nation's capital and around the country and around the globe. We will bring you up to date on all of that. That's our job. Good to see you today on this Wednesday, December 5, 2018, as we join you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, uh, just down the street from the United States Capitol, where the body of former President George H.W. Bush will leave about 10 o'clock this morning and make its way over to the National Cathedral uh, for the memorial service there with eulogies by uh, George eight George W. Bush, son George W. Bush, former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, and uh, author and biographer of President Bush, John Meacham, uh, among others. We'll have that. I'm sure you'll be watching today. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But we got, in the meantime, lots of talk. Michael Flynn dropping the other shoe yesterday. I mean, Robert Mueller, sorry, dropping the other shoe yesterday on Michael Flynn and saying he's been such a good soldier, he's been so cooperative that I'm going to recommend zero prison time for former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Bring you up to date on all of that and look forward to hearing from you what it all means to you. Send us your comments on Twitter, as always, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Boy, oh boy, the times have changed, Bill. Christmas toys for kids are a lot different than when you and I were younger. In fact, they're saying 
Now, no more little toy cars. No more toy cars, nothing like that. It's smart toys. Smart toys are sort of taking over. And by that, it means that you get these toys that are connected to the internet in many different ways. And the, so uh, one of the things that's out there, there's a, a bear that is connected to the internet. It has a microphone, and it has a camera, and it is connected to the internet. <laughs> And it could collect a lot of data about not only your children, but also the house that they live in. And this goes up on the Internet. And this goes up on the Internet. I mean, it goes somewhere so that the people that make it can learn more about the kids that are using it, learn more about the family that has it. Uh, I don't like it, Bill. I don't like it either. I don't like it. I mean, what do you mean it goes somewhere? Once it's on the Internet, it could go. It could go anywhere. No, you're right. I mean, Anywhere. In theory, the the idea is, oh, it goes to a database. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. No, no. You're right. If it goes to the Internet, it goes out there. Which, again, look, you know, people who are getting these Alexa devices and bringing these home assistants in, I mean, these are things that are listening to your every word. So just... Think about that before you go buy the toys for your kids or the children in your life. Go back to toy cars. Go back to toy cars, yes, indeed. For dolls. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, here is a story. We go to Pennsylvania where a uh, there's a woman, uh, Nadia Reich, who teaches at Our Lady of Lourdes Regional School. It's a Catholic church. And good news. Lords. Lords, sorry. sorry. Good news. She's pregnant. She's having a baby. Oh, that's good. Yeah, sounds good, Catholics right? are allowed to have babies. They are. Here's the problem. She's not married. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So she was let go from her job at the Catholic school because she is having a child out of wedlock. She is not married. So the school has let her go. And here's the other sad thing. She's not going to fight it because she says she thinks the school is right. Why didn't she just say it's a virgin birth? <laughs> That's right. It worked once before. Our Lady of Lords. Yeah, sure. The Virgin Immaculate Conception. Do you ever hear that theory? Uh-huh. Well, it works for the Blessed Mother. It could work for Katrina, whatever her name is. This is the Bill Press Show. Michael Flynn. Such a good soldier. So cooperative, says Robert Mueller. He's going to recommend zero prison time. So Michael Flynn says, if you cooperate, I mean, Robert Mueller says, if you cooperate with me, no prison time. Donald Trump says, if you cooperate with me, you get a pardon. Oh, man. Uh, The Russian investigation. Uh, It is getting a lot more hot and heavy every day. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. On a Wednesday, December 5, Wednesday edition of the Bill Press Show. Hello, 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 and great to see you. Welcome to the program. Whether you are joining us online, on the radio, or on television, it's good to have you with us as we take you through the news of the day on what, for the most part, uh, across the nation, uh, when the, as far as the federal agency is concerned, is a federal holiday uh, declared by uh, President Trump in honor of the 41st President of the United States, President George H.W. Bush. That memorial service will begin at 11 o'clock Eastern. It'll be nationally televised uh, on cable, at least, on uh, from the National Cathedral here in Washington, D.C. Uh, then the President's body will be flown back to Houston for burial in College Station, Texas, alongside of his wife, the former First Lady, Barbara Bush, who died earlier this year. 
We will uh, bring you up to date on that news and all the other news of the day. And there is a, a lot of it. Big stories yesterday. Yes, Robert Mueller did, um, as expected, not until late in the day, but he did release the court filings for Michael Flynn as to what they're going to recommend for Michael Flynn. We'll get into that more. The CIA director, who was blocked from uh, briefing senators last week on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, uh, she was finally allowed to brief senators yesterday, and it was explosive. Every single senator, Democrat and Republican, marched out of that room saying there ain't no doubt about who ordered the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi, and it was the crown prince of Saudi Arabia himself. Now the question is, what are we going to do about it? Yes, the Dow uh, and all all three of the um, market uh, indicators fell I mean, hugely yesterday, the doubt was 799 points after Donald, after investors saw that Donald Trump had just been lying about the deal he allegedly made with China in Argentina, that there really ain't no deal. And Donald Trump made it worse, even worse yesterday. And the doubt responded accordingly. And the Democrats are dropping like flies. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We thought there were 30 who were going to run for president. It turns out there may be only 26 left, the way they're dropping out so fast. So we'll give you the latest roster of uh, candidates. Easier, easier now to start counting those who are not running. Uh, and all of that we bring you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Again, podcast, podcast, podcast. Go to BillPressShow.com, sign up for the podcast. We're joining on the radio Statewide on Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and the great WCPT. We're with you in Chicago and the areas around Chicago and on television, coast to coast on Free Speech TV. With all of that, yes, let's start with the Dow. It was, as I said, just to make it 800, round it off, 799. It fell 800. That is the yesterday, the fourth largest fall in the history of the stock market. Uh, this is huge huge. Uh, the Dow went down 3%. On the news, and you got to get this in context, remember, first of all, the president slapped these tariffs on China. The market didn't like it. They don't like tariffs. They like free trade, certainty. Uh, but Donald Trump says, nope, this is going to help the United States, going to help our economy. We may tremble a little bit, but that's just going to be temporary. So the market kind of went along with that. And then the president says, don't worry. And he threatened, of course, to raise those tariffs to 25% at the beginning of the year. Then the president says, I'm going to meet with President Xi, and we're going to uh, straighten this whole thing out. So you go down to Argentina. Donald Trump comes out of that meeting and says, an incredible deal we got with China, a total truce. They're going to drop all their tariffs on automobiles. They're going to start buying soybeans again. Everything is rosy-dozy. And... Um, the market sort of said, hmm, do you think that's true? Let's see what China says. And then China came out and says, basically, there ain't no deal. We didn't agree to anything. And so the president then yesterday, so now the market's really nervous, and the president yesterday said, ha-ha, well, if they don't go along with me, we'll just go back to the tariffs. He said, we'll increase the tariffs after all because he said, quote-unquote, I'm tariff man. I'm tariff man. And on that single bit of news, the market crashed. Yes, 
Donald Trump caused it yesterday uh, by this uncertainty and by the great big fat lie he told about the China deal. As we pointed out yesterday, this is like in Helsinki, he said he had a great deal with and made all kinds of agreements with Vladimir Putin over Syria and Yemen and who knows. Nothing ever happened. There was no deal. He walked out of Singapore and said, I got a great deal with Kim Jong-un on uh, North Korea getting rid of its nuclear weapons. Great, great deal. Nothing has happened. John Bolton, the National Security Advisor yesterday, said North Korea has not done one damn thing toward dismantling its nuclear weapons. So this is, again, yet a third time that Donald Trump comes out of a so-called summit meeting with a world leader and says, got a great, great deal, but guess what? Washington's, I mean, Wall Street saw right through it. The investors on Wall Street, they're smart. They, they, they know BS when they see it and they hear it, and that's exactly what this is. And so they just started selling off, particularly stocks of any uh, companies that have major investments in China, like Boeing, like Apple, and we see the results. Um, yeah, so this 10-year expansion of the economy that we've enjoyed so far, eight years under Barack Obama, could be coming to an end with the Trump slump. And you want to know why? It's because you get this BS, fuzzy, incomprehensible, um, certainly not unclear readings about what's going on with this China deal from the president's own senior economic advisor, remember, who was nothing but a talking head on Fox and CNBC before he fired him, and we're talking about Larry Kudlow. Pardon me. So listen to, so, okay, again, you're an investor on Wall Street. You're, you're the head of one of these great big investment firms uh, or hedge funds or whatever, and you want to know that there's a real deal with China. You want real hard news. So you listen to the president's economic advisor. Listen to the certainty or the lack of in his voice. So first, let's start with day before yesterday. We played this clip yesterday. This is a day before yesterday. Larry Kudlow. Well, they're going to roll back their auto tariffs. I assume they're going to roll oh. them all the way back. But that's an assumption. Okay, so they're going to roll back their tariffs. I assume they will. That's an assumption. All right, again, you're sitting on Wall Street. you got to, you got to choose where you're going to spend your money, how you're going to spend it, what you're going to sell, what you're going to buy, right? Does that give you any confidence that either Larry Kudlow or Donald Trump know what the hell is going on? No. It's just an assumption. That was two days ago. Yesterday, Larry Kudlow gives another little briefing with two reporters. Uh, let's listen to the language yesterday. The president expects, I think he's uh, right, he's going to get it, they will take their car tariffs down to zero. It, they were 15%, then they were knocked up to 40 uh, as a retaliatory move, and um, I think you'll see pretty soon they'll be knocked down to zero. That's my guess. Oh, so the president expects, I think, that's my guess. <laughs> so there you've got four verbs, right? I assume... I think, I expect, I guess. <laughs> That's as clear as they can get on what's happening with the deal with China. No wonder the market crashed yesterday. So here we are. Your 401k and mine, the economy across the board, major blow 
uh, and again, triggered by Donald Trump and a tweet. Once again, if he'd only stopped tweeting, things would be a lot better off on many fronts. Uh, but his tweeting yesterday, I am tariff man. Uh, so we got that. And then in the meantime, we waited all day to find out what Michael um, Robert Mueller was going to do about Michael Flynn because the filings were due yesterday. Uh, some people thought they might be postponed um, because of the, uh, the, the, the Bush uh, funeral. But no, uh, the special counsel did go forward. Highly redacted filings. But the basis of it is that what Robert Mueller said is, here's what we recommend for Michael Flynn. And he has a sentencing hearing later this month. And the special counsel said, because he has done, given substantial con, um, uh, cons, uh, um, cooperation, yeah. that's the word I was looking for, a substantial cooperation with us in this office, we are recommending that he serve zero prison time. Which means that Michael Flynn has been helping them but, a lot. Yeah, when they talk about substantial right. cooperation, it, nineteen different meetings mm. with Robert Mueller. Yeah, nineteen different meetings is what Michael Flynn gave. Right. So this was not just a one-off sort of debrief about what his role was. I mean, he was singing like a bird. Right. I mean, he was yeah. giving them everything they wanted. And. What uh, the legal experts who looked at it have said is uh, that it indicates, number one, he's, as you just pointed out, he's, he's really given them a lot of information. Number two, that they're not going after him because they are clearly building a criminal case against somebody. Who could that somebody be? <laughs> the number one target would be the president of the United States. There could be others along the way. Uh, and... Uh, uh, the Robert Mueller has shown now that there were not the case that Donald Trump said where nobody, nobody, nobody in this whole operation had any contact whatsoever with the Russians. Robert Mueller has systematically shown that there were multiple people around Donald Trump, part of the Trump operation, who had connections with the Russians. Uh, now, of course, the Republicans tried to put the very best. This does come into context again, just before we get to that, uh, which I think is very important to remember. Donald Trump's message earlier in the week was when he talked about Paul Manafort and Roger Stone. If you don't cooperate with Mueller, I'll take care of you. Paul Manafort, thank you, Paul, for lying to him. How about a pardon, baby? And with Roger Stone, you say you won't testify against me? You got guts, baby. I'll take care of you, too. The one who did cooperate, Michael Cohen, he hasn't attacked Michael Flynn yet uh, uh, after this latest act at any rate. With Michael Cohen, he said he's a weak man. He ought to serve a full and complete sentence. Whereas Robert Mueller is saying, if you cooperate with the federal government and with the FBI, we're going to recognize that, and you serve no prison time whatsoever. So they're both sending uh, conflicting, uh, conflicting messages here. But the Republicans, of course, tried to spin this. So, look, the fact is, this is bad news for Donald Trump. This was his top campaign aide and his national security advisor who has spent the last year cooperating with a special counsel who's conducting a criminal investigation of possible collusion and obstruction of justice by the president. This is and was so helpful 
the special counsel is uh, recommending no prison time. Horrible news for Donald Trump. But, of course, Sean Hannity, his butt buddy, tries to put the best possible spin on it last night, opening his program. Big news out of the Mueller witch hunt. The special counsel just released its report on Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. You know, the guy that served his country 33 years, five years in combat. Now, Mueller is recommending after all of this time, (laughs) no prison time for General Flynn. But the damage has been done. Flynn is, quote, a convicted felon, a victimless process crime based on evidence that is suspect. The FBI didn't think he lied. Now, you can't get him on an actual crime, so the old perjury trap always becomes the fallback in the Mueller camp of Democratic donors. This is how America's going to treat a military hero. This is a sad and pathetic moment for not only the special counsel, but for the country. That is such a bad spin. I mean, come on. Yeah, he served his country. He was fired from the Pentagon for doing such a lousy job, picked up by Donald Trump, and then he lied to the FBI. He did lie to the FBI, and the FBI said that he lied about what he talked to the uh, ambassador about. Since then, he saw that he was going to spend maybe 30 years in prison and decided, I'd rather cooperate, which he did. Ain't no way it's good news for Donald Trump. Mark Meadows, head of the Freedom Caucus, is on with Sean Hannity. And again, he tries very hard to put the best possible spin on it, I think it's good news for President Trump tonight yeah, right. that this is what it's come down to. Even though they said he substantially cooperated, I think he substantially cooperated to say that there was no collusion. And we can look at it with that in mind. Uh, by, by the way, you hear the key word there? I think. Yeah. I think. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He has no idea what Michael Flynn told Robert Mueller. Uh, but so let's go back to our friend Jeff Tubin on CNN. I think he's the most valuable person on, on CNN right now today, Jeff Tubin, uh, and certainly the smartest. And Jeff points out uh, there's one key line in the filing, a lot of redaction, but there's one very, very key line uh, where I think Robert Mueller is sending a big, fat signal to the White House. Let me, uh, I'll let Jeff Tubin give you the line. Here's the key sentence. However, senior government leaders should be held to the highest standards. Yes. As we think about how Mueller is going to characterize what went on in the Trump White House, the fact that he is saying senior government leaders should be held to the highest standards, I would be a little nervous if I were the people involved in the obstruction of justice investigation, starting, of course, with the president of the United States. Bingo. Okay, think about that. Senior government leaders should be held to the highest standards. This comes in a filing about the National Security Advisor. Who in the White House is more senior than the National Security Advisor? There are not many. There's Jared Kushner. If I was Jared Kushner, I'd be nervous when I see that sentence. And if I were Donald Trump, I'd be nervous when I see that sentence. That's what I think. That's that's the real message here, and that's the real takeaway from the filing that we saw. Uh, by the way, Robert Mueller is due in court again on Friday to file papers regarding the uh, future of Paul Manafort. I think we can expect 
that his recommendation as to what should happen with Paul Manafort will not be the same as what should happen with Michael Flynn. Right. I, I mean, think this that's is, a safe guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think you would be safe in that. <laughs> I mean, this is really stunning. It is. Uh, so, again, who else? If Michael Flynn, and they say people above Michael Flynn have to be held to the highest standard, there ain't a lot of people up there. Right. So, like, you know, people are worried about are In the White House. Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, all of that, right? Even possibly Ivanka. And look, they, they- And Jared. And Jared. And that could all very well come to fruition. But, like, Donald yeah. Trump Jr. doesn't really have a position in the White House. No. He doesn't. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, That's why it's a little, you're not sure. But he certainly did in the campaign. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, it seems as though Robert Mueller has his sights set higher than just Donald I, Trump Jr. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. I think it's Kushner and Donald Trump Sr. who ought to be concerned. Meanwhile, a stunning development yesterday. Remember last week, um, senators on the Hill, Republicans and Democrats, saying, we want to know more about this murder of Jamal Khashoggi and what do you got and, and what the story really is. So we want to hear from the CIA director on what happened. And the White House said, no, 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 we're not going to let her come up. We're going to send up the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense. And they briefed senators last week, and the senators came out of it and said, we still didn't get the full picture. We want to hear from Gina Haspel, the CIA director. Well, they did yesterday. And boy, they got an earful, and they marched out of that office. And now we know why they sent Pompeo and Mattis last week, because the senators said that they were misled by Pompeo and Mattis. Get get that. That's already a lot to swallow. The Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense, Mattis, we thought was this great guy, go up and purposely misled the senators about the information they had. Gina Haspel spilled the beans, told the whole story yesterday, and particularly the Republicans came out of there furious and absolutely convinced every last one of them that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia planned, ordered, monitored the murder of Jamal Khashoggi in, in that consulate. Here is Senator Bob Corker, head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I have zero question in my mind that the uh, Crown Prince, MBS, ordered the killing, monitored the killing, uh, knew exactly what was happening, planned it in advance. Corker said that if uh, Khashoggi went in front of any grand jury in the United States, he would be convicted within 30 minutes. That's how clear the case was. No doubt about it. Lindsey Graham, for once showing a little bit of sense here, uh, talks about how this meeting only further confirmed what he thought walking into it. I went into the briefing believing it was uh, virtually impossible for an operation like this to be carried out without the Crown Prince's knowledge. Uh, I left the briefing with high confidence that my initial assessment of the situation is correct. So, uh, and, and by the way, you have to say, Lindsay, as often he does, gets the best line in of the day. There's not a smoking gun, there's a smoking saw. Whoa. And of course, he's talking about the bone saw used to dismember the body of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, but just, just, just try to get your arms around that, right? What they're telling us is, and what the CIA is saying with certainty is that the head of Saudi Arabia, the acting head, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, again, planned, ordered, monitored the killing of a journalist 
who happened to be a resident of the United States and a columnist for the Washington Post. And Donald Trump still will not condemn him for it. Donald Trump still says lies, and a big lie, that the CIA didn't reach any real conclusion. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. No, that's not what the CIA says. The CIA says he did it. And the big question still is, what's, going to, what's Donald Trump going to do about it? The first thing he could do is condemn the crown prince for it. But the president of the United States says, even with all this evidence of this outright murder, dismembering the body, the whole ugly stuff, that we cannot do anything about it because Saudi Arabia is going to buy to, 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 to spend so many million dollars of, of arms, billion dollars of arms, and buying them from the United States. We have this financial deal with Saudi Arabia. It doesn't matter what they do. We can't break that. So much for um, human rights or human decency or morality having anything to do with American foreign policy under Donald Trump. Uh, interesting developments uh, on the Democratic Party front for 2020. Yesterday, they were dropping like flies. Um, I, this is the biggest disappointment of my political life, and I've spent you know, 40-some years in politics. I've never been as disappointed as I was yesterday when I learned that Michael Avenatti was not going to run for president. I'm oh, sorry, Bill. My hopes were, you know, I mean, my hopes for Barack Obama, for Bernie Sanders, all faded compared to Michael Avenatti. Right. Yeah. Right. I was ready to hitch my wagon to his star. God, what a joke. Anyhow. <clears throat> and he put out this big statement as if anybody took him seriously about running for president. Right. He said, I, "I love he, that he said I would run, but basically yeah. his family, uh, his family ha, has told him, him that they to. would not. That, that, yeah, said they didn't want him to run. Yeah, what a clown. At any rate, so Avenatti's not going to run. More uh, truthfully, sadly, Deval Patrick, former mayor of Massachusetts, said he's not going to run. One time, he was considered the next Barack Obama. Uh, good governor, good man, uh, very good on the stump, but uh, he's uh, he's decided not going to run." Uh, at the same time, we learned uh, some others are pretty active about it. We know that Kamala Harris said she's going to decide over the holidays. Um, Joe Biden yesterday said, no doubt about it, Joe Biden said, I am the most qualified person in the country to be president. Gosh, that sounds like he's running. does sound like he's running, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, this, uh, contrast that with what Senator Sherrod Brown said Sunday on Meet the Press when Chuck, uh, I guess it was either Chuck Todd or Jake Tapper, I forget which show it was, said, do you think you're the best person to be president? He said, I don't know, which I thought was an honest answer. Yeah, right? sure. Let's see yeah. how far honesty gets him. Right. And we also learned, so let's see, we've, oh, no, Elizabeth Warren, yes, she said she's definitely working on it. No timeline on it. I'm working on it right now. No timeline, probably over the holidays. Uh, and that sounds like a yes, by the way. That sounds like a yes, too. And we also learned yesterday that on November 16, not long after the midterms, that Beto O'Rourke met here in Washington, D.C. with Barack Obama to say, okay, how do you do it? <laughs> what tips do you have for me? Well, things are operating, uh, things are operating on, that, on that front. Very, very interesting. Hey, a great lineup of guests coming here on this Wednesday, December 5. Sabrina Singh will be joining us from the uh, Democratic National Committee. They're already working on the debate schedule for 2020. We'll find out about that. Scott Wong covers the Hill for the for the Hill. <laughs> covers the Hill for the Hill. 
Uh, he'll be joining us a little bit later to tell us more about um, the big meeting with the CIA director yesterday. We start off with Matt Ford from the New Republic and find out more about exactly what Robert Mueller is up to and what the findings yesterday on Michael Flynn really tell us. Lots more coming up here on this Wednesday, so stay right where you are. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. A quick break, and we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. And on this Wednesday, December 5, great to have you with us today. The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, those great men and women of the AFT who played such a vital role in the, the primaries, uh, not the primaries, in the midterm elections, and are very, very active out in Wisconsin fighting these efforts on the part of the Republican Party to clip the wings of the new Democratic governor of Wisconsin, all under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. We salute them, thank them for their support of the program, and direct you to their website to follow all their good work at AFT.org. And we welcome to the studio Matt Ford covers... a. Uh, the courts and uh, legal issues, Department of Justice issues for the New Republic. Hello, Matt. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Lots to talk about today. It's a good day to have you. <laughs> um, before we jump into that, I uh, just want to take a quick break to check with our viewers and listeners who've already been busy as the president has. Has he tweeted yet this morning? I don't see anything from I him. I don't think he has yet. Oh, my God. Is he sleeping in? At any rate, you've been busy, Peter. Yes, we're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, lots of different comments today on different uh, topics. KG says, uh, in honor of George H.W. Bush, I'm going to take time out today to scan my own groceries. <laughs> Remember, that's yeah, that famous, famous George H.W. Bush yeah, right. uh, moment there. <laughs> uh, also, on the uh, Mueller, Flynn stuff, we've got lots of comments on that. Uh, Bill, you are spot on. Trump and his minions should all be very scared. Also, uh, we uh, someone ch- chimed in and said that uh, Michael Flynn must have sung an opera. <laughs> to Robert Mueller. It appears as though that might be the case. Also, don't forget, we have a chat room, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The Bill Press Show, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Lots of comments on the 2020 race. Bill, we were just talking about it. Uh, Sharon Brown could be a good uh, POTUS, but right now, I like Elizabeth Warren because if Trump does go four years, it would kill him if he lost to a woman. Uh, also, someone else uh, commenting, I'm behind Bernie Sanders. It would be poetic justice for him to be president for what should and would have been his second term. I should have mentioned when I was talking about um, the news that we heard from various potential candidates, uh, we also heard from Bernie Sanders after a little meeting of his brain trust up in Vermont. Uh, Jeff Weaver, his former, well, probably will be again his campaign manager, was the last time, uh, came forward and said, uh, if he runs, he's campaign than he did the last time. Just remember, if you have a comment, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show, and again, the chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, and thanks for all those comments. Uh, thanks for being there for us, and uh, the comments still welcome at BP Show. So, Matt, um, big day yesterday. Um, in the Everybody waiting all day for mm-hmm. Robert Mueller to drop the other shoe, right? He finally did. Yeah. Uh, the gist of it is what? What did he tell us about a, Michael Flynn, and B, the investigation. Well, this is the first window we've had into anything that Michael Flynn has been doing with regards to this investigation since last December when he uh, agreed to a, a plea agreement. Uh, you know, this is this is one of the parts of the investigation that's gone kind of 
unnoticed. We've been talking a lot about Manafort. We've been talking a lot about uh, Roger Stone. So what we know is that he has cooperated extensively with Mueller. He's given him everything he can. He's had 19 interviews. Uh, and Mueller has looked at that and said that he thinks that he deserves no jail time for that, uh, that he provided substantial assistance. And that's a big thing. That means that the assistance he's provided has been crucial in helping move the investigation forward. Um, now, of course, Mueller's keeping the cards close to his chest, so we don't know what exactly that cooperation entails, what he told him. Uh, but, for Man but for Mueller to say that this is significant is a very significant development and a very worrying one for the White House. Could, could you read it the other way? Could you say um, uh, he doesn't deserve any jail time because he didn't do anything wrong? You, uh, you're reading it, he doesn't deserve any jail time because he was so helpful to us. That, that would be a pretty charitable act on, on Bob Mueller's part, um, although it would raise questions about why he was charged in, in the first place and why Mueller went after him in the first place. We, we do know that he did lie about his content, what he talked to the ambassador about. Right? That's right. And yeah. the, the redactions also indicate that there is something here that Mueller doesn't want us to know, that there is something that is related to ongoing investigations that, if revealed, could be damaging to them. Um, which suggests that while, you know, we, we, we don't know whether he provided Mueller with a smoking gun, we don't know whether he provided him with just some background that helped him film the details, um, but whatever it was, it's significant enough that he doesn't want the world to know about it just yet. Uh, which is why there, pardon me, so many lines were redacted. Right, including entire sections. There's, there's stuff in there that we don't even know what we don't know. <laughs> Here we go, back to Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah. Uh, but there was one key line which Jeff Tubin on CNN picked up on yesterday, and mm -hmm. I'm sure you did too, uh, as Jeff Tubin tells us. Here's the key sentence. However, senior government leaders should be held to the highest standards. Yes. As we think about how Mueller is going to characterize what went on in the Trump White House, the fact that he is saying senior government leaders should be held to the highest standards I would be a little nervous if I were the people involved in the obstruction of justice investigation, starting, of course, with the president of the United States. That is a key line. Right? I, I absolutely agree. And that, you know, it's worth noting that we, we don't really know what's behind those redacted paragraphs. Right. One of the first things that caught my eye was that there's no explicit mention of the obstruction of justice investigation anywhere. Uh, Flynn has involvement in two key parts. The first is, of course, the sanctions discussions that took place mm -hmm. in December during the transition period. But the second is the obstruction question with regards to the ongoing federal investigation, with regards to the firing of James Comey, with regards to whether or not Trump offered Flynn anything in exchange for his silence. Or how about witness tampering? Exactly. Uh, the fact that Mueller didn't mention that, we don't know if that's a positive or dispositive in any way, but it's certainly something that stood out, and it could suggest that that's ongoing. All right. If you're talking about the National Security Advisor, mm -hmm. and you use a phrase like senior government officials, right? who's higher than the National Security Advisor? There are not many people. Uh, you know, cabinet members, I guess. Uh, the Maybe. president, I would probably say, is higher than that. Yeah. Uh, but it goes to sort of the, the, the deeper aspect here, which is that, that Mueller has a tendency to bring this out and, and focus on the big picture. And the big picture here is that a lot of people are lying. And they're not lying about some trivial thing. They're not lying about where they were over the weekend or why they're late to work. They're lying about uh, their involvement in a criminal conspiracy to influence American elections by a hostile foreign power. Um, and that's something that, that, you know, we get lost in the weeds sometimes by focusing on what Manafort's doing today or what Roger Stone is doing today. Um, but when, when, you know, there's a tendency among some of the White House's defenders to call these things process crimes as if to minimize them. 
But lying in this matter makes it harder for the American people to know the truth about what happened. Um, so there's a very good reason why um, this is being treated so seriously by Mueller. And if Flynn is cooperating as much as he can, that's a good reason for him to receive a lenient sentence. Uh, who in the White House should be nervous by with this filing? Well, one because person filing yesterday. One person who's already probably pretty nervous is just about everybody. But one person who should be more nervous than they already was were was Jared Kushner. Uh, we know that Jared Kushner had a lot of also interactions with uh, the Russian ambassador Sergey Kislyak. Uh, we know that those interactions coincided with uh, some of what Michael Flynn has done. And so the question for, for uh, Kushner is whether or not he was completely accurate and truthful in his depiction of those conversations. If he was, then he has nothing to worry about. But if he wasn't, Flynn is an effective witness who could disprove that, and that puts him in greater legal jeopardy. Hey, look, let's not be so negative. Let's look at this as a heartwarming story. It'll be a family <laughs> reunion. Uh, Jared Kushner will mm -hmm. go to jail where he can see his father. Mm -hmm. It was also in jail. He can have conjugal visits with Ivanka, who will just be in another wing of the same jail. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Look, let's look at the positive stuff. <laughs> um, now, there's another filing this week uh, from Paul Manafort. Right. Uh, so he recommends zero prison time for Michael Flynn because he is so cooperative. One would assume that his finding about Paul Manafort might not be as warm and fuzzy. I, I would be surprised if it were. Uh, I mean, look, you, you know, the big thing here is that you have to tell the truth. Um, you know, you can take the fifth, fifth Amendment if you don't want to say anything. That's perfectly allowable under our system of law. Um, but when you do say something, if it's not truthful, then you're in trouble. Uh, and it's clear from what Mueller has said that he thinks that Paul Manafort isn't telling the truth. We don't know what he hasn't told the truth about. It could be something on the more... Uh, trivial end of the spectrum, something about the crimes he committed that for which he was convicted in Alexandria la uh, earlier this year. Or it could be something about what we've been talking about this whole time, which is collusion in that. Um, so there are two key questions. One, what did he lie about? And two, how did Mueller know he was lying? Right. Uh, so we do know that Mueller said he made a plea deal to cooperate with us and, and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And after having made that plea deal, he lied to us. Right. continue to lie to us. Right. So therefore, the plea deal is basically off, right? Pre pretty much. You know, you can't, it makes him useless no. as a witness. Okay. It, it renders him uh, unhelpful now, for any future cooperation. Now that, that, that's not good for the Mueller investigation, is it? To no. To lose Paul Manafort. No, it's not. Um, you know, this is, the Manafort, uh, one of the things that really struck, uh, stood out when he first flipped on, on uh, Trump in August was that Manafort is one of the few people who could give a comprehensive portrait of key moments in this saga. The Trump Tower right, meeting, right. Uh, the first release of the WikiLeaks documents, he was there for all of that. And he's, in addition to that, the only person at the Trump Tower meeting who is either not a, a foreign national and is not related mm -hmm. to Trump by marriage or blood. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge well, get Michael from Flynn, too. Well, Flynn wasn't at the, the Trump Tower meeting. And it was. was. It was no, Kushner, okay. it was Don Jr., and it was... Uh, Manafort, Manafort representing the Trump okay, side, got it. Um, which is unfortunate because Flynn could have given us a little more insight on that. Uh, but without that, unless Mueller has other evidence that that sort of, and this is the question mm -hmm. of how he knows uh, Manafort was lying, um, you know, that puts it for harder for to find out the truth in all this. So what what are we likely to hear from Mueller about Manafort on Friday? Well, he he will ask the judge. Well, he's, what, he's, what we'll likely see is a document similar to what we saw for Flynn, but just the reverse of it, saying yeah. that uh, you know, the cooperation he, was, was not fruitful, 
Um, he rene- reneged on his promises that he made in you know sworn statements to the court. Uh, and we'll probably see a partially redacted version of of mm-hmm. what he lied about. Um, it's going to be sort of like a you know a documentary analysis kind of thing where we try and read between the lines and see what that says about the state of the investigation. But what we should be able to glean to some extent is whether or not um, this relates to sort of the central questions of the Russian investigation or whether he discredited himself on some other aspect of it. Okay. So when you look at this, reading the tea leaves, and I see all kinds of speculation that um, there's some who say, obviously, clearly, Robert Mueller is nearing the end of the road. And there are others who said who saw what happened yesterday and said, clearly, Robert Mueller still has a long way to go, and he's just building his case. Do you see any signs that we're, that this is the end game for Mueller? I, I don't see any signs of haste on his part. Um, I don't see any signs that he is is trying to move at, at a clip that is not you know as aggressive as we would want in any investigation like this, um, but that he's trying to sort of get everything out there before Trump can fire him. Um, that may signal that he has a lot left to go. That may signal that he's about to wrap up. It, it, it's really hard to tell. One of the key things, though, is the, the reference to multiple ongoing investigations uh, in, the, in the Flynn memo. Um, so even if this is, is wrapping up soon, there is a lot left to do before it gets there. Um, we know, for example, that... that uh, what, are, what are these other ongoing investigations? Uh, of whom, by whom? Well, the, there there seem to be three investigations referenced in the, the the sensing memo. One is, of course, the investigation into uh, the uh, Russian ambassador conversations that he was directly part of. Uh, shortly after that, there's a redacted portion uh, that seems to discuss some other element of uh, Flynn's cooperation that we don't know about. Uh, one possible explanation for that is that it's about obstruction of justice, um, and that goes directly to the president himself. Uh, there's also additionally a third component um, that is does not seem to be under Mueller's purview, that is just very cryptically entirely blacked out, except to note that he's provided substantial assistance on that as well. Um, and that could be something that's directly related to him personally. Could that be the case in New York? It could be something related to that. It could Because be in New York you have two to, different cases, to, correct? Where you've got the U.S. Attorney's case and the New York Attorney General's case. Right. Uh, it, it could, you know, that's one of the, the tricky things about the Trump administration is that there's so many things swirling around it that it's hard to tell uh, exactly what it could be part of. Um, but no, I, it's hard to conclude that Mueller's investigation will wrap up, you know, by the end of the year uh, from this. But unless you, you listen to Rudy Giuliani, well, who said it was going to wrap up a year ago, right? R- right. Rudy Giuliani should generally be taken with a significant grain of salt on this. Uh, you know, he's. He, I think that's giving him too much credit. But <laughs> I was, it, it's. I was trying to be kind this early in the morning. Uh, you know, Giuliani and is a carnival barker, and his goal is not to provide the most accurate portrayal of events to the American people. It's to make Trump look good, um, while other people appear to do the real legal work on Trump's behalf. Uh, so I think that signals sort of a broader discontent with the way this is going. Um, the White House certainly isn't acting like this is going to end anytime soon. Uh, what's the significance of Michael Cohen's guilty plea last week? Well, it really this is one of the other aspects uh, of of Mueller's efforts that really stands out is his ability to get these people to cooperate on things that you know could be extremely damaging to the president. Um, set, you know, Cohen's involvement in this really crosses a lot of sort of the, the different threads in the Trump administration. You have the issues with uh, payments to women, the hush money, campaign finance violations. You have uh, what he knows about the Russia investigation. 
you know, as Trump's legal fixer for 10 years. And you got the Russian tower in Moscow. Exactly. He is centrally placed to, to know a lot of things about Trump, a lot of his dirty laundry. Um, in fact, dealing with that dirty laundry was kind of his job. Right. Uh, so if, if Mueller is able to get significant usable information out of him um, that he can bring and, and, and push on other cases about, that's a huge get. And one of the things that, that really stands out about this that we'll be looking for with future Cohen stuff is something that stood out in the, man, in the Flynn documents. There's a, there's a part in the Flynn documents where he, uh, where Mueller says that uh, Flynn's testimony helped induce other witnesses to cooperate. And if that's the same case with Cohen, that could open a, a lot of doors mm. that Mueller might not have previously had access to. He could bring in other people to substantiate what he's talking about. That's right. We know, for example, we don't know the full extent of what was said or how, how far this cooperation goes, but we know that the uh, Alan Weisselberg, for example, uh, the Forgot chief financial him. officer right. of the Trump organization was given some sort of limited immunity uh, to cooperate in an earlier investigation there. In the New York in, in the, the New US York case. Yeah. New York or the U.S. attorney's case. I forget which one. Right. And just, just to clarify that, as I recall, uh, to, for, for my own purposes, um, the New York attorney general is looking at the foundation, I believe. Right. 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 And the U.S. attorney is looking at. Uh, the Trump Organization. The Trump Organization. Right. Yes. Uh, it's one of the downsides that he names after everything after himself. It's hard to... to yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the foundation stuff relates to uh, the charity payments that were made during the election um, and whether or not the Trump Foundation is actually a charity or whether it's sort of a, a slush right. fund to evade taxes. Um, the organization stuff relates also to this. There's you know evidence that he used Trump Organization resources for campaign purposes possibly in violation of campaign finance laws. Like the payment to Stormy Daniels. Exactly. And right. the, the other aspect of that, though, is that any a lot, because the Trump Organization was his primary business operation, you can see how it would be closely tied to any business dealings he would have had to, with Russia. And those could go a long way towards proving intent and motive in uh, any investigation into possible collusion. So they're all related. Yeah. Um, Mark Meadows yesterday... Um, in fact, let's listen to this. So Mark Meadows was on with Sean Hannity last night. Uh, and, of course, it's the Republicans' job to try to put the best possible spin on what Robert Mueller said yesterday. So Mark Meadows, this is a pretty, uh, I think, a real stretch for me. But at any rate, here it is. I think it's good news for President Trump tonight that this is what it's come down to. Even though they said he substantially cooperated, I think he substantially cooperated to say that there was no collusion. And we can look at it with that in mind. So he and the president and everybody else says, they, there's no collusion. They've been found no collusion. We don't really know that, do we? They haven't said they've found collusion. And that's a big difference from not finding collusion. Um, they may ultimately say that, look, you know, yeah, it, it, right. it, it's worth keeping in mind that, that this could all end with Mueller saying, look, a lot of shady things happened. But no collusion. Something might have happened. I don't know. I haven't found conclusive, definitive proof that it did. Um, but they haven't done that yet. They haven't done that yet. And also, you know, people aren't acting like that will be the case, uh, especially in the Trump White House. They're not acting like this will exonerate the president in the end. They're acting like this is going to be some sort of uh, bombshell that will, you know, mortally threaten his presidency. They certainly do seem to be acting like they're nervous. Uh, they know more bad news is coming. Right. Uh, if you're confident that, that Mueller will come out of this and, and sort of clear your name, you wouldn't threaten to, like, fire him, to shut down the investigation, to, to get mad at Jeff Sessions for appointing him. Uh, you know, these, these are things that, uh, you know, 
as a president, he has more influence over uh, than anybody else. And the fact that he's willing to use that influence suggests that he's scared of what could happen. Now, there's another player here, uh, and that is that Robert Mueller has a new boss. You just mentioned Jeff Sessions, fired, uh, and Matt Whitaker put in his face the acting uh, attorney general, um, who we know is not very fond of the Mueller investigation. Um, what does that mean for Mueller? Well, it, it's hard to tell. Uh, you know, one of the key things that happened since Whitaker's appointment is the new charges against Cohen. Uh, and there's been some reports that Whitaker was aware of that. And so that suggests that he hasn't completely acted to stop any of this. Um, For now, it, it looks like he's just letting Mueller continue to do his thing. Right. Um, now, what that says going forward, we don't know. It's possible that if something reaches a more critical juncture, he could step in. And we will know if that happens because under the Department of Justice regulations guiding the special counsel, if you know, Mueller has complete day-to-day -day autonomy, uh, the special counsel gets to be briefed on significant developments. If the special, or I'm sorry, the attorney general gets to be briefed on significant developments. If the attorney general decides, hey, you can't do that, you can't charge this person, you can't, you know, get a plea deal with them, you can't do X, you can't do Y, uh, the attorney general has to notify Congress that that happened. Uh, and that's sort of a check built in to prevent sort of another Saturday Night Massacre sort of cover-up so scenario. if Whitaker tried to say, I'm cutting your budget in half, or you can't look at this particular issue, right. or, um, uh, or you gotta you gotta wrap this up by April first or something. He'd have to tell Congress. We would know, right? right? The, in in a lot of the cases, that that'll give us some sort of early warning sign if something's happening. Okay. What are the chances that Whitaker, who is a Trumper, we know wouldn't be there if he weren't, is just giving daily briefings to Donald Trump or to the White House counsel about everything uh, Robert Mueller's doing. I mean, that's the big concern. Um, the, the idea that, you know, you have somebody on, on the inside. Fact, probably a fact. Well, I, I don't know if it's a fact, but I would be worried about it um, if I were, were Mueller. Uh, you know, it certainly raises questions after everything he said, whether or not he can be trusted to fairly oversee the investigation. Um, and, and while, you know, obviously he hasn't done anything yet that we know of directly to hinder it, um, it's something that's going to loom over it as long as he's running the, running the show. Right. Um, is, is there any, I, I haven't heard uh, right since he's been appointed, um, any talk about replacing him with a permanent AG has just has disappeared. Yeah. There have been some whispers about maybe this person's under consideration or maybe that, but you know, this is one of the most important cabinet posts in the government. And we're not hearing any sort of real consideration no. out of the White House. We don't know that the president it. is talking to people about it anymore. I mean, you know, again, there were rumors right. you know, of Lindsey Graham or Chris Christie, but uh, there's no indication that I've seen that the president is actively working on this, and that's uh, which means to me he's happy with Matt, Matt Whitaker and he's probably happy with Matt Whitaker because Whitaker calls him every night and says, here's the latest. Well, I mean, and, and you know, this is this is one of the problems that's that's raised by Whitaker's appointment is that he wasn't confirmed by the Senate to hold this job. Right, right. And while it may be acceptable in some circumstances for somebody who isn't Senate confirmed to do this on a limited basis, uh -huh. um, you know, during a presidential transition, <laughs> things like that, uh, the idea that he's just going to keep appointing temporary attorneys general to sort of evade tough questions in the Senate, uh, if that is indeed what happens, that's a serious problem for, for this country. Robert Mueller is no dummy. We know that. So he knew that once the elections were over, Sessions would probably be gone. Somebody else would, would be coming in. 
Um, in anticipation of that, uh, is it likely, can we assume that that Mueller got some indictments, grand jury indictments, and just has them under seal uh, so that he can still release them? Well, he certainly seems to be pressing hard on a lot of people. And, and you know, if I were Roger Stone, for example, uh, I would be pretty worried about what might happen in the next month or so. Uh, he's somebody that they have pressed extraordinarily hard. He's somebody that they've pressed his friends and associates extraordinarily hard. Uh, and so that's, that might be the next shoe to fall. We've seen indications that there may be a sealed indictment uh, for Julian Assange mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. of that, that yeah. you know, uh, copy and paste error that they right. had in another document in the Eastern District of Virginia. Uh, so we, we, we've seen indications that there may be more shoes yet to drop. We just don't know when. All right, Roger Stone, beware. My rule is never trust anybody who has a tattoo of Richard Nixon in the middle of their back. <laughs> I think that's a safe rule. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Matt Forth, good to see you. Man. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming in. It's newrepublic.com. Uh, and Scott Wong joins us next from The Hill, thehill.com, of course, as the Bill Press Show rolls on on this Wednesday morning, December 5. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Michael Flynn. Robert Mueller says no prison time for Michael Flynn. That's what he is going to recommend. So he says, you're good to me. I'll be good to you. (laughs) Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Wednesday, December 5, it is The Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. We've got lots and lots to talk about on this day, which is a day, uh, basically a federal holiday um, under orders of the President of the United States to honor uh, the 41st President of the United States, President George H.W. Bush. Federal agencies are closed, not even any postal delivery today. And the service uh, for the former president begins at 11 o'clock Eastern at the National Cathedral. Um, But meanwhile, there's a lot going on, a very fiery uh, briefing by the CIA director yesterday uh, in the Senate on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, Several, a couple at least, of Democratic wannabe presidential candidates in 2020 dropping out yesterday, saying they are not going to pursue it. And speaking of drops, the Dow making a monumental drop yesterday of 800 points uh, on news that the China deal uh, may not be exactly what the president originally said it was. Uh, to help us through a lot of the news of the day, Scott Wong joins us from The Hill, senior reporter, uh, congressional reporter at The Hill. Hey, Scott, it's good to see you. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Coming off a great big birthday. Uh, <laughs> Thank congratulations you again yeah. and happy birthday. And you're looking good despite being a, a senior <laughs> citizen now. Right. right. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's good to have you with us. And we've got, again, lots to talk about, um, but we will jump right into it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so we've got a little bit of a family spat going on within the Trump family because uh, earlier this week, George Conway, the husband of Kellyanne Conway, tweeted something about Donald, one of Donald Trump's tweets, sort of uh, saying that this is now evidence in a criminal trial and collusion and all that. So then Eric... He's been... That's not the first time. This isn't the first time. You're right. No, that's absolutely not the first time he's done this. He has a habit of doing this. Well, finally, one of the Trumps snapped. And this time it was Eric Trump, who tweeted out, of all the ugliness in politics, the utter disrespect George Conway shows towards his wife, her career, place of work, and everything she has fought so hard to achieve might top them all. Kellyanne Conway is a great person, and frankly, his actions are horrible. Again, he said nothing about Kellyanne Conway. So then yeah. he did what he can, you know, He's not do jo- best. showing disrespect for his wife. He's showing disrespect for her boss. Her boss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he should retweet. People saw this tweet, of course, because it's Eric Trump. He has a lot of followers. So he started retweeting other accounts that responded to Eric Trump, including this one from Reza Aslan, where he says, wait, did I miss something? Did George Conway pay money to have sex with a porn star right after his wife gave birth? Oh, boy. So if we want to talk about respecting wives, anybody with the last name Trump might want to (laughs) tread lightly. Tread lightly. I kind of love this story, even though it is sort of a bummer. Yesterday in Rome, Italian authorities said that they had dismantled the mafia. The mafia had rebuilt itself in the Sicilian capital. They had rebuilt sort of the upper echelons of the mafia, and they arrested 46 people, including what they're calling the boss of bosses over there. In so Palermo? The mafia, it, 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 this was in Rome. Oh. Uh, they don't say specifically I where. I said Sicily. Yep, yep. I'm sorry. Yep, you're absolutely yep, right. Palermo. Yep. There was a meeting of clan leaders in Palermo, the mafia, the different mafia factions, and they were all arrested. 46 people in total. Again, the mafia is bad, but it does warm my heart a little bit that it's still surviving. The idea that they've get, uh, uh, wiped out the mafia in Italy? Get out of here. No. Never. Never. Or especially in Sicily? No. no. They had made a lot of progress in it, but like the mafia's not going away. No, no, no. Wonderful book. Michael Dibden's the author of the book book about the mafia in, in Sicily called Blood Rain. Uh, he's a great mystery writer, and uh, that's one of his best. Blood Rain. Read it. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Dow crashes 799 points yesterday as Wall Street investors take a look at this so-called China deal that the president says he reached with President Xi in China, uh, in Argentina rather, realizes the deal is not what the president said it was and investors fled. Uh, Anybody doing business in China crashing the market, the fourth largest uh, drop in the market in the history of the Dow. Welcome to the Trump slump, everybody. It's the Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, Wednesday, December 5. Great to see you today. And thanks so much for joining us as we boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill uh, to join you in every part of this great land of ours on online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, on the radio, 
out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT and, of course, nationwide, coast-to-coast on Free Speech TV as well. Uh, here in Washington, uh, a day of solemnity and, mem- and memory of uh, President George H.W. Bush. Scott Wong covers The Hill for The Hill, thehill.com, and joins us in the studio. Uh, Scott, it's good to see you. You have been um, around uh, the Capitol. It's been a somber couple of days at the Capitol uh, with thousands and thousands of people uh, coming in, some just from ordinary citizens and some real uh, important uh, officials, elected officials and appointed officials into the rotunda. Right. It's It's been a real mix. I mean, we saw yesterday uh, Senator Bob Dole stopped by in a very, very moving, moving yeah. scene. He stood up and, and with the help of an assistant, was lifted up out of his wheelchair. He could not really stand himself. And he is now 95 years old, obviously. One of the last uh, World War II veterans, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, to to serve in in politics as well, just like H.W., and uh, saluting the coffin of his old friend and one time, as you remember, political rival in 1988. Right. Sure, and it was a very moving scene. We've seen Bush family members, George Bush, drop by with his family, Laura Bush, and other Bushes unexpectedly last night. I think twice he was there yesterday, wasn't he? And uh, during the day, I know, we, and he, earlier in the day and then in the evening as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the one that got most of the attention was later at night mm-hmm. when he <laughs> greeted well-wishers. I think a lot of them who had been standing in line for hours and hours were very surprised to see the former president. And he was giving hugs and shaking hands and taking pictures with babies and really just expressing gratitude that these people – were paying tribute to his father, uh, another very moving scene. But I, I talked to a lot of folks that had driven, one one family uh, had driven all night. They left, they put the kids in the car at 3 in the morning from Trumbull, Connecticut, and they drove down uh, all night and were there first thing in the morning yesterday, uh, waited two hours in line once they got there and just wanted to be part of it. And <clears throat> the father said, you know, that he met... President Bush in China once mm-hmm. when he was working in China, and he said he just wanted to, uh, his kids to experience it. They told the second grade teacher, we're taking our daughter for a history lesson. And so just some really interesting stories about people who wanted to to be here uh, and to pay tribute to the former president. So there was sort of a truce declared uh, this week uh, on the Hill uh, right. in, in, in memory of the former president and also just in, in uh, to reflect the reality that they couldn't get anything done with this other st- stuff going on, right? Uh, right? How long does the truce last? Well, it seems like they've punted the the government shutdown for another two weeks. So we were supposed to come up on a deadline at the end of this week. Uh, they have said, well, because of the funeral services and out of respect to the Bush family, um, you know, we we can't have a big shutdown fight and, and a big partisan <laughs> right, right. brawl in the middle of this. So you're right. The, the president has bought into this. The Republican and Democratic leadership have said, OK, let's punt this to December 21st. This actually is beneficial for leadership, I believe, because it right. puts this you goes, right before Christmas. Yeah. And by the way, I, I we talked about this on Monday, I yeah. think it was. Um, and I got the date wrong. I thought it was two weeks from Monday, but it's actually two weeks from the deadline, which was Friday, Friday which is this Friday, coming the 7th. Friday. Add 14 days. It gets us right to the 21st, <laughs> right? So right. They're saying, we'll wait until the 21st. That's uh, right. And it's it's purely strategic, right? Because, you know, the leadership can go to Merry their rank and Christmas. file members and say, okay, you can choose to shut down the government. 
or or vote for this funding bill and you can go home and spend Christmas with your families. Mm-hmm. It, the choice is yours. Right. And what does the is there we we hear all about funding for the border wall as being the breaking point or the do or die dis, uh, issue. First of all, are there other issues that are that that are, you know, make or break or is it just the border wall? There are other issues floating around, certainly. I mean, they got to get done some tax extenders. They want to push through a farm bill in this lame duck session. So there are a number of other. I haven't heard any talk about dreamers, for example, being part of this. Well, it could be part of this bigger, you know, wall deal. You know, the president wants $5 billion. And right. And Chuck Schumer is saying. 1.6. No way. Right. But, I mean, the Democrats, I don't <clears throat> hear saying. Okay, we'll give you 1.6 if we get the Dreamers, right? They're just saying we'll give you 1.6. Yeah, Democrats don't want to be the ones to insist and and then I think get the blame for shutting down the government. Right now, Trump is saying and continues to say we need a good shutdown here, and and maybe this is the moment after two years of of threatening a shutdown. Maybe this is the moment that he makes good on his threat. And well, he must know <clears throat> that. Um, this is his last chance, right, with Democrats taking right. control of the House. Right. He'll never get a shot again, you know, over these next two years before 2020 because Nancy Pelosi or whomever will be Speaker of the House and, and Democrats will be controlling the House of Representatives. I think you can safely say Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can get into that if you want. <laughs> uh, 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 I, I'll... I'll uh, uh, not that I'm the whip of the house, but I think the, I think the votes will be there for her. But yeah, I mean, he, if he if he wasn't able to get his 25 billion for the wall in the first two years, when Dem, when Republicans control everything, he's not going to get it in the next two years when Democrats control the house. So he right. must know that. But does he also know, or should he know, that if Republicans have the House and the Senate and the White House and shut down the government, that they're going to get blamed for it? Oh, I, I isn't mean, that an assumption? I mean, if he's they, the one. The president has been the one talking about a shutdown. So. He says it'll be good for the party. Right, right. So I, you know, I think everyone is in pretty much agreement that the president would be responsible and would probably get the blame for a shutdown. And he thinks the American people would see that as good. I don't. I don't get it. I, I, mean, I don't think he's. I don't think he's catering to to the larger uh, American public. Uh, yesterday, the big uh, the action outside of the rotunda was in this briefing briefing that the CIA director held for Republican and Democratic members of of, of the Senate. Uh, I'm not sure how they were chosen, by the way, because I know some grumbled that they were not included. Uh, but the leadership, certainly, by the CIA director Gina Haspel on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, Boy, when they came out of it, they were all of one mind about what they what they were told, right? Right. I I actually was not I I was not tracking that yesterday, but I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they, I mean they they were unanimous in saying uh, <clears throat> this was from the beginning planned, monitored, ordered by the the Saudi prince Jamal Khashoggi. Um, right. But, it's, a, it's another um, divide between what the president says and does and what the intelligence community has asserted that 
there was a direct connection to mm -hmm. the crown prince. And now the intelligence community is sharing that and briefing members of Congress now that they're back from, you know, the break. Right. And, and as we mentioned last week, uh, so that last week the, the senators wanted a briefing and they wanted to hear from the CIA director and the White House sent instead the secretary of state and the secretary of defense who sort of left it like, well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, we're not really sure, you know, there's no smoking gun, blah, 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 blah. And then the senator said, no, 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 we want to hear from Gina Haspel. And then finally she showed up yesterday. And the reason I mention that is because, in fact, let's just listen to one senator, Bob Corker, who came out of there. I mean, Corker, chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, no doubt about it. I have zero question in my mind that the uh, Crown Prince, MBS, ordered the killing monitored the killing, uh, knew exactly what was happening, planned it in advance. Planned it, ordered it, monitored. He said if he went in front of any grand jury in the United States, he'd be found guilty within 30 minutes. Uh, so we see that yesterday. And as a result of their concern about the role of the crown prince, we also saw this vote in the Senate last week where they went 63 to 37 to limit the president's powers to assist Saudi Arabia in its war in Yemen, right? So uh, the reason I raise this, my question to you is, this comes on the heels of the midterms. Do you see any sign, you know, like of cracks in the concrete between this solid Republican senatorial support for Donald Trump and maybe now there some Republican senators are willing to break with him a little bit? Maybe on this issue, but by and large, I think if there was any lesson, if you're a Republican from the midterm, it was you do not go up against Donald Trump because he will he will crush you. I mean, look, look at the folks who are retiring or leaving Congress. I mean, a lot of them were, were the big Republican Donald Trump critics. And so when Bob Corker retires from Congress and Jeff Flake retires from Congress and Mark Sanford is no longer in Congress on the House side, uh, you know, those are enormous voids. And I don't see any big voice stepping in and filling those roles of sort of being a, a check on the president. I mean, maybe the Khashoggi issue is a little bit different because we're dealing with, you know, such an awful atrocity. But by and large, uh, you know, m maybe Mitt Romney, but we'll we'll see. I'm just sort of <laughs> we, no, we, need to a, see, we need to see no, what's going to happen. That's a very good question, Romney. and I'm I'm thinking as fast as I can. Why you know why you're mentioning that as to who will who will step up, who will fill that void, who will be? I, I mean, I, I I believe that Jeff Flake and Bob Corker, while they while they were uh, willing on occasion to express some differences with the president still went along with him on almost everything he wanted anyhow so that they 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 were they were they were weak right um, <clears throat> uh, critics if you will but even as a weak i don't see who would step up except maybe Mitt Romney maybe Mitt Romney John McCain's gone of course it's certainly not going to be Lindsey Graham anymore Lindsey Graham has completely pivoted from you know enormous trump critic and political rival in 2016 to to now trump confidant uh, which is... It's not going to be Rick Scott from Florida, right? No, no. I mean, anyone and who... it's not going to be Cindy, whatever her name was, from Mississippi, Hyde Smith, right? No. Anyone no. who is thinking about a long political 
uh, career in Washington is not going to go up against the president. Even you know somebody like Ben Sass, who is often critical right. on yeah. Twitter, yeah. usually votes pretty consistently with where the party is and and with the president. You, you know, know what? Yeah, uh, so this is a longer conversation, but I believe that it's a short term, long term deal, and they're making a huge mistake. In the short term, they might get hurt a little bit, but in the long term, they would they would be seen, I think, as heroes. And they'd be as a hero and be seen as somebody who saved the party, saved the country, had the guts to stand up to Donald Trump, because I think it won't be long before uh, Donald Trump's um, popularity will sink even further than it is. But that's just my read of it. And none of them asked me for their advice. So there you go. All right. As you cover the Congress, uh, you are seeing now we're nearing the end of the 115th Congress. Uh, okay, right, right. okay, professor, <laughs> you get to uh, you get to give your class a passing grade or a failing grade or uh, uh, how how would you rate the 115th Congress under the leadership of Paul Ryan? I think he's had a very tricky time uh, being speaker, and those jobs are always tricky. I mean, John Boehner had a difficult time managing his, you know, the raucous Freedom Caucus, and and those guys, Mark Meadows and company, gave Paul Ryan an equally I was going to say, yeah. Difficult time. Paul, John Boehner had a hard time for the same reason, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, he was trying. But, you know you know what I'm asking, and you can be as critical as you want or favorable as you want. I'll disagree with you, but what, what did they accomplish? What did the 115th Congress of the United States, it's going to go down the history books as accomplishing what? Well, I think there were two key votes in, in the, this last Congress. One was on health care. The end result was they they did not repeal Obamacare. Right. Okay. Uh, and so, right. n- you know, as much as Paul Ryan wants to say we fulfilled our our job and our promise to our Republican voters, they, nothing was changed. Okay. Except a lot of those members who walked the plank for Paul Ryan and for Donald Trump are no longer in Congress. No longer in Congress. So they did not repeal Obamacare. They did not do anything about infrastructure. That was another promise right. of the Republicans. They did not do anything about immigration reform, which still some Republicans talked about, right? Um, they will point They will point to the one thing that did pass, which were the Trump tax cuts. So in two years, they've got a big tax cut bill for the wealthiest of Americans. That's, that's Paul Ryan's legacy. That is his legacy. He will argue also, um, you know, preserving military spending. When you, when you listen to him as he is trying to talk about his legacy— uh, those are those are the two focuses: tax cuts and preserving military spending. As if our military spending were in jeopardy, right? Right. I mean, it's not that the Pentagon came to the Congress and said, "You know, we're vulnerable. We're going to go out of business if you don't give us more money." And I mean, they were fat and happy as they were. Right. And if they gave them more money, they'll take it. But they didn't really beg for it. Didn't need it. Didn't want it. Um, uh, but one thing that Paul Ryan did end with, not only saying they did such a good job, but as you reported for The Hill, um, he, he got wiped out. I mean, he lost 40 seats, right? He doesn't seem to see that as a loss at all or as a blow to him or that he he hasn't, like, accepted any – I haven't heard of it – and he accepted any responsibility for it. And, in fact, he turned to California where they lost so many seats and said basically they cheated out there. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did say that at the Washington Post event the other day. 
he raised, he was raising serious doubts, sowing serious doubts about the California election system. Uh, and and why do they claiming what saying why are they uh, you know counting so many ballots after election day? Well, California, as you know, has this interesting election law where you can actually mail in your ballot on election day, and if it is received in the registrar's office by that following Friday at 5 p.m., right, then it counts. Yes. Yeah. You know, provided that you are who you say you are, and uh, and and they do also go through some provisional ballots and and try to see, you know, did you write, vote in the right district and things like that. But California has a very liberal uh, voting policy; they want to include as many people as possible. So once Paul Ryan said that about California's voting system, the Secretary of State who runs elections out there, Alex, Alex Padilla, Alex Padilla. Yeah. You, you probably know him. He said, yes. uh, you know, he said, look, we want to. We want as many people as possible uh, who are eligible to vote to participate in this system. And it was it raised quite a few eyebrows. I, I wrote up the story. I thought it was interesting that. No, that was a great story wrote. that you did. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the response of Paul Ryan is, yeah, we do something different in California. We believe in some very something very old fashioned counting every vote. <laughs> now, he called it ballot harvesting, I think. Or yeah, something, I don't, but I don't no. know what that is, but. You know, what's interesting also about California is they, they were wiped out, right? By, by any measure, they were wiped out. They had 14 totally. Republican House seats in California. By the end of, uh, you know, this month, they will have seven. Seven, yeah. Including. So out of 53, it'll be 46 Democrats, seven Republicans. Pathetic. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the first thing that the Republicans did after Election Day was to make Kevin McCarthy... Yes, their new leader right. uh, yeah. after he had just been completely wiped out in in California and lost a lot of his very close allies. But because he had put in the legwork over these last many years, fundraising for colleagues and things like that, they have uh, made the number two guy the n- now number one guy. It, it is astounding because to show you how smart Kevin McCarthy is politically, right? Kevin McCarthy said, OK, don't worry about California. I'm going to take care of California. I'm going to save all our people in California. He he did admit privately, I know because a lobbyist told me this, that they didn't expect to pick up any seats, but they were he guaranteed them they were going to hold on to all the seats that they had. Duh, they didn't. They lost them, um, lost half of them. Um, but so Kevin McCarthy says, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to put a ballot on the initiative, uh, an initi- initiative on the ballot that will. Um, reverse a new gas tax that had been passed a year oh, before yeah, in the right, legislature, right. and they did. They got this. They got. They put the money up. They got paid signature gatherers. They got the initiative on the ballot, and this was going to bring out the Republicans to vote against a gas tax. And guess what? That failed, like by fifteen points. So McCarthy's whole plan on how to get the Republicans out to vote was a bust. And then they lost seven seats on top of that. Right. And then he and and he's rewarded by made be, being made the Republican leader of the House. Well, it's in in part it's because of the way the uh, internal leadership elections yeah, uh, are right. held meaning you don't need that many votes to become the minority leader. You just need uh, a simple majority or half of your conference to become minority leader, a much lower threshold, obviously, than Speaker of the House. All right, so we talked about the accomplishments, meaning there's just one, uh, of the, the the tax bill of the 115th Congress. 
uh, a tax bill that a lot of Republicans ran away from when they were running for reelection, right? Right. Did not turn out to be the great big bonus and and uh, that they thought they would have as a platform to run on. When you look ahead at the 116th Congress, it looks a lot different than the 115th. Looks a lot different than any other Congress we've had. Correct. Right. Uh, there will be new leadership. I'm convinced it'll be Nancy Pelosi because there's nobody running against her still at this point. Um, what do you expect of the new Congress? Uh, you know, Donald Trump sort of indicated you either cooperate with me or it's going to be all out war. Um, is that what he wants? Is that what Democrats want? What do you expect? I think that Pelosi and her leadership, her new leadership team uh, are going to be wrestling with this internal question of, you know, how far do we go to investigate? You know, you're not going to stop Jerry Nadler and Elijah Cummings from holding investigations and from holding high-profile well, hearings. That's their job under the Constitution. Their job is oversight, and we really yeah. have not had under Republican leadership, uh, you know, any, any serious oversight. serious right. oversight of Except the Trump administration. Except on Benghazi and the Hillary emails. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago, but yeah. And so I think they're really going to be wrestling with this question of how far do we go to investigate? Because in the back of their minds, and you know, the backdrop but, of these next two years is going to be 2020, and they think. Well, that's that, that's why I'm asking you, right? But they can they can inve- I mean, see, I don't buy this either or argument. No, I don't think they it has can to be investigate or. and have a legislative agenda at the same time. Yeah, other other congresses have. Yeah, most congresses. But have. I think this is going to be the the struggle I'm, within the the caucus is how how far do we go? Um, and so you know what I was going to say was you know 2020 is is the backdrop here, and Democrats feel that the Senate majority is within reach. Certainly Chuck Schumer does, and that perhaps the White House is within reach. And so they don't want to overextend themselves uh, in terms of these investigations. And in fact, the freshman Democrats, these 46 freshman Democrats, sent a letter yesterday saying, uh, let, let's not put all of our eggs in the investigations. Let's try to do some legislation. Let's put forward our ideas. And even though it's not going to pass the Senate and get signed into law, let's show what this House of Representatives stands for in terms of you know, environment and infrastructure, some of the things you were talking about, uh, you know, and, going down the line. And climate change and other things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and prescription drugs. We've, heard, sure. we've gone down that list of issues. Uh, I think you're right. And I think that some of those things may pass this, the Senate because, look, Republicans want to put some coonskins on the wall, if mm-hmm. you, whatever, for mm-hmm. 2020 as well, right? I mean, they want some wins for 2020. Um, so I think there's a possibility, at, at least potential, for some things getting done, although maybe I'm just, you know, the eternal optimist on that. You mentioned the freshmen, the 46 freshmen. This may be an unfair question, and you don't have to, you can answer it next time you come back if nothing pops into your head right now. But who do you think, who do you see as the the stars hmm. of the of this freshman class? Who's going to emerge as a star? There's, you know, this very, very interesting people. Right. Men right. and women, women of color, right. Muslim women, right. Latinas, you know. Big personalities. Big personalities, right? Right. I think you can look at it in two ways. I think there, there are the progressive stars like AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Ayanna Presley and... Ayanna Presley and Tlaib. Mm-hmm. And then you have some of the, the moderate stars like uh, Abigail Spamberger who beat Dave yes. Bratt. Uh, right, just just over the way in Virginia, mm-hmm. and so I think that that you know we're going to see stars coming from both 
supporters of the of the Democratic caucus. And, uh, you know, these are these are polished, uh, you know, in terms of Abigail Spamberger. She's a, a political newcomer, but extremely polished. Uh, these are good communicators. Obviously, AOC has been, uh, you know, she she's a master at social media. I mean, she she's got like a million followers on Twitter and Instagram and and. Any, you know, she has enormous reach, and it's yeah. very, very, very good at it. I think a lot of politicians, it's very clear that yeah. they have people writing their tweets for them or mm-hmm. running their Instagram. It's clear that she's doing it herself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she knows what she's doing. She's she's savvy, remarkable. From you know, a Bernie Sanders volunteer, yeah, <laughs> yeah, former yeah. bartender. I think she was bartending, you know, last year, and all of a sudden she's a. Uh, you know, wandering the halls of Congress on her Instagram Live. I mean, it's it's actually quite interesting. She put out a statement yesterday talking about, you know— th- She'll probably be bartending in Washington. I mean, you know, they've had, <laughs> they have free time. She put out a, a statement yesterday talking about, you know, there's a great tradition here in Washington, D.C. of interns, right? There are a lot of interns that work in these offices, and she said she's going to pay her interns. Not only is she going to pay them, she's going to pay them $15 an hour, which— a lot of this intern work that happens up on the hill is unpaid. They are unpaid internships, and she says it's time for that practice to stop. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. it's I great. I mean, that's a real that's put. I mean, that's a real solid move, particularly when the federal at uh, the federal right uh, minimum her, wage is still yeah. seven twenty five. Putting her money where her mouth is, and, and maybe others will follow her lead. I mean, that is a a substantive, you know, yeah difference yeah, there. Yeah. Well, you've got a very exciting time ahead of you. It's always exciting up there, but particularly now with 160. Yeah, I think I'm going to go down down to Pennsylvania Avenue and watch the uh, motorcade as it heads over to National Cathedral this morning. Right. And it's going to wind the, through the city, and, and people, the, the public is invited to go out there and, and see. It's going to be a really um, you know nice service, and, and the motorcade will be actually following the same path. I was looking at the map, following the same path that... George H.W. walked and drove after his inauguration inauguration. 30 years ago. Right, down past the White House and then up to the the National Cathedral. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for coming in today, starting your day with us. And when we come back, Sabrina Singh joins us from the DNC. Uh, A lot of the questions about um, whether the DNC, how the DNC is going to be approaching this 2020 primary uh, and uh, maintaining a very neutral position among. What's the latest count? I don't know. 26 or 28 potential candidates. We'll get into that with Sabrina Singh coming up next year. A quick break and we'll be right back. You can follow Scott at TheHillTheHill.com. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Wednesday, December 5, uh, The Bill Press Show. Here we are. Good to have you with us today as we boom out to you all across this great land of ours on the radio, on television, and online from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those great men and women of our firefighting departments all across the land. They never get a day off. Uh, They are there protecting American families every single moment of every day. Under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger, check out their website at iaff.org. We salute them and thank them for their support of the program. Welcome uh, Sabrina Singh to the studio, the Deputy Communications Director for the Democratic National Committee uh, that maybe had five minutes to take a breather after the midterm elections and now is 
charging ahead toward 2020. Hi, Sabrina. That is exactly right. We had five minutes and we're back on. (laughs) Actually, the midterms are not really over. There's some of the things we have to talk about. Some people haven't yet accepted that as well. Uh, Before we dive into uh, uh, new stuff, we've had... um, uh, we've covered a lot of ground so far today with the help of our viewers and listeners. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show. At BP Show, somebody chiming in about your conversation about Nancy Pelosi says, just think about this. Mike Pence and Donald Trump could be disposed of, and then it's President Pelosi. There you go. <laughs> right. Yes, third in line. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, Tygan says Boy, Paul Ryan. could make history at- Big time. Yeah, there, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'd be a huge deal, right? Uh, Ty Gann says, Paul Ryan's legacy amounts to the cost of one Costco membership. Uh, <laughs> he said and, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and D. Ray Luther says, Lion Ryan, Paul Ryan, has done has not done one good thing for this country. He is a grifter. I would argue he has done one good thing for this country. He is retired. retiring. Retiring. Yes, yep. exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. I have to say, he is. I, I really honestly believe he will go down in history, I, I, I don't know, as the worst, ever, but in our lifetime, in modern times, the least effective, the least impressive mm-hmm. uh, speaker of the House. Period. I agree. Period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you compare Paul Ryan's legacy to Nancy Pelosi's legacy, I mean, there's no comparison. There's really not. I mean, she has done. In, they tried to demonize her. It hasn't worked. It's not going to work. So, I mean, her legacy is going to live on. His is right. not. Yeah. I mean, what she was able to accomplish in the time that where she was speaker. And again, what is right. Paul Ryan? As Scott Wong just told us, the whole 115th Congress, one thing, a tax cut bill. Right. To benefit the wealthiest of Americans and the biggest corporations, the tax cut bill that Republicans were trying to disown. Right. Their right. own bill would say we're trying to disown in the midterm elections because yeah. they knew how impo- unpopular it was and how it did absolutely nothing for middle class Americans. And they tried. They tried to do the test run, I think, in the special election in Pennsylvania 18, and they just saw how it failed. I mean, no one and ran on the never, tax bill. No, yeah. and you never heard of it again. Exactly. <laughs> never heard. No, no one was touting the tax cuts except for Donald Trump and his wealthy friends. Right. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll just give you the softball to start with. What was your take on the midterm elections? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I have to say, pretty good. <laughs> were there smiles all around at the DNC? There were smiles all around. There's still smiles going around. I mean, uh, well, we're still not done yet. Well, um, well deserved. By thank the way. you. Yeah, yeah uh, under the leadership of Tom Perez and uh, you know Ben Ray Lujan over at the DCCC and you know our sister committees across the 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 across DC but across the country, the work that the DLCC did, the DGA and the DSC. I mean, we couldn't have done it without our partners, our progressive partners on the ground. And we just had an incredible night on November 6th with, you know, I think we're at least have flipped 40 seats in Congress, uh, seven governorships, uh, state legislatures uh, in our back in our control. Uh, I think over what are we at now, like 380 new state legislatures across the uh, new members across the country. So we had a really good night. Uh, we did. We had a really great night. Um, and I think we need it is. Tom always says this, November 6th, important day. November 7th, also important day. We, ca- we can't let up. We, we have not let up. Uh, we have to keep up the momentum, and we have to carry that to 2020. Right. So um, as I was indicating earlier, mm-hmm. uh, in the certain little pockets around the country, the midterms are not yet over. It looks like let's start with Wisconsin. Yeah. Republicans there don't want to accept the results of the midterm, and they're doing everything they can to thwart the yeah. success of the incoming 
governor. Uh, Sore loser doesn't even uh, characterize what they're doing. I mean, what they're doing, I think, is is um, unconstitutional to the Wisconsin, you know, uh, state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they are literally trying to limit the incoming Democratic governor's powers and um, trying to pass through an abundance of um, laws that would restrict Tony Evers and his uh, leadership team um, on on doing things that, you know, the people voted on. Um, for instance, a perfect example, they want to restrict the attorney general from withdrawing from the ACA lawsuit. Uh, the, the attorney general lost his reelection because Based, he led yes, yes. the ACA lawsuit. Um, you know, we saw that health care was on the ballot. Uh, we saw that people did not like what Republicans did to sabotage the law and what they're still doing. And so um, by trying to limit Tony Evers' power and, and, you know, his administration, I mean, it's it just we've never seen something like this. And the same thing is happening in Michigan as well. With the legislature and the incoming governor. With the governor. legislature, they're trying to restrict incoming governor Gretchen Whitmer's powers and, and the secretary of state and attorney general. I mean, both Wisconsin and Michigan are trying to limit um, early voting for for citizens in their states. I mean, this is a Republican playbook. We know that they want to do this. But to try and pass it through a lame duck session when voters made their 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 voices heard. They elected Democrats because they wanted a change. Of course, we saw the same game being played in North Carolina two years ago. Right. Uh, two or four years ago, whenever it was. Right. I think it was two years ago. Um, and um, uh, and uh, you, you just wonder, just accept, you're right, accept the will of the voters. I yeah. saw one legislator, Republican from Wisconsin last night saying, we're just trying to um, uh, to level the playing field, right? Right. Well, you lost, dude. Yeah. Right. Except the fact you lost. Just you made spineless. your best case. You lost. Yeah. Okay. So the yeah. way you level playing field is you work hard, maybe, and you try to do some good things, and maybe you'll get power back someday. But right. for the time being, you lost. Yeah, right. and accept, accept the will of the people. Right. Accept their vote. Accept that they wanted something different. Right. Um, and incredible protests happening in the Capitol. Uh, late last night to the early morning, um, I went to sleep, you know, at midnight. So I didn't see all the protests that were continuing on until the night. But I think oh, yeah, people were been... out there around the clock. And that's amazing. That's what we need. We need people out there. So if you live in Michigan and Wisconsin and you're listening, you know, go to your state capitol, make your voice heard. And we, we know, because uh, we remember well, uh, the early days of Scott Walker, how the people of Wisconsin, per- pardon right. me, particularly, um, can turn out exactly at, in the state capitol of, of Madison. So um, you mentioned uh, winning 40, 40 House seats. It could end up being 41 okay. uh, because there is one still undecided, and that is in North Carolina's nine. What's the situation down there, and what is the issue? I mean, I think the North Carolina nine is, is showing us probably what is one of the worst cases of election fraud. Uh, the incumbent uh, Republican, Mark Harris, has been... I think I think it's pretty clear that he was working with folks on the ground that were paid for by his campaign. Remember, Mark mm-hmm. Mark Harris is a Republican nominee, but Republican. He, sorry, Republican nominee. Yes, he f- beat a Republican member. Yes, he, right in sorry. the primary. Yes, yes, he beat the Republican in the primary. His and, name, so, but, right. and so um, he is now. It is it is alleged that he hired folks to go around in the county to collect absentee ballots and people were at people's homes at people's before homes before they mailed them in. Exactly. Right. And not even signed or or fully sealed um, the mm-hmm. absentee ballots. And some were thrown out. 
Some were not even signed by the voter themselves. Um, they had people helping them fill out the ballots to, you know, say, like, I'll just fill out the rest for you. You don't have to worry about everything. I mean, the State Board of Elections hasn't certified the, uh, the, the State Board of Elections in North Carolina has not certified the results of the election because this is just rampant voter fraud um, that's happening. And so we are working with the North Carolina Democratic Party to, you know, lend support where we can. Um, I think that, you know, I'm hopeful that we will flip this seat because as we've seen, I mean, this election is could have essentially been stolen from a Democrat. And um, so we're we're trying our best and, and working as hard as we can around the clock to make sure that, you know, the voters voices, the ones who truly voted um, and and, you know, followed the process are heard. Yeah. I mean, I saw an interview with one woman where she said some guy came up, knocked on her door uh, oh, and yeah. said, do you have your absentee ballot? Yeah. Were you going to vote absentee? Oh, yeah. Well, who were you going to vote for? And she said, and he said, OK, well, I'll take care of that for you. Yeah. And she handed him her ballot dummy. Right. But, right. right? <laughs> but at any rate, that's just so outrageously illegal. Yeah. And then he takes a ballot and they mark it any way they want and then turn it in. And, you know, the North Carolina. Probably gets her to sign it. Maybe. I don't know. Whatever. But right. that, that the phrase ballot harvesting. Right. Right. That's what they were doing. And it looks like they may have been doing it in the primary. Yeah. He was doing in the had this person do it in the primary. Primary, right? Uh, and the person who was in charge of this had was a felon, had a felony right. record, yeah, and had been arrested for some other things. Whatever. He's got a pretty shady background, yeah, and was yeah. hired by this and you're Mark hired Harris by the campaign, right? Right, exactly. So, and so, I mean, and the North Carolina Republican Party has done nothing to ensure. Uh, transparency, fairness, um, holding Mark Harris accountable. I mean, it is really the Democrats that are trying to do everything we can to to bring some accountability back. I mean, issuing a statement saying, oh, we're reviewing the results. I mean, what does that do? I mean, nothing. Um, and so we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that, you know, our voices are heard, that um, the State Board of Elections that we're working with them to make sure that, you know, there is a full investigation um, into what happened in the 9th District. Isn't it isn't it funny, sort of, an ironic maybe that after all the claims of voter fraud on the part of Donald Trump and Chris Kovac, none of which <laughs> none of which showed up, turned up any evidence right. at all of voter fraud, that in this election one case of voter fraud would pop up, and it's That's on the part of a Republican candidate for Congress it's, in North yeah. Carolina. And Chris Kovac rightfully lost his uh, and right, gubernatorial uh, yeah. seat. So hopefully that's yeah. the last we'll, we'll hear about I him. sure hope so. <laughs> um so um there was action on the Democratic front yesterday on twenty twenty. Uh boy, surprise, surprise, Michael Avenatti, this is his whole campaign <laughs> fell apart yesterday. He says people are begging me to run, but he's not gonna run because his family doesn't want him to enough said about him as a it's a clown anyhow, and, and nobody took him seriously, I don't believe. But DeVal Patrick, I was surprised to see, decided he is not going to run. Yeah, that's what um, we're seeing this morning. So um, what's the count left? About 26, 28? Oh, yeah, 27. Uh, you know, we're probably 30 maybe. <laughs> um, the nice thing is is that we are still going to have a huge field. Uh, you know, the two folks that you mentioned um, have said that they – are not going to run, or at least Avenatti uh, uh, more directly. We ha- I, I yeah. don't think we've seen an official statement from Deval Patrick. But I think there's... Last, later last night. Okay, did. I saw I saw the reports this yeah. morning. Um, but you know, I think there's still going to be a, a, an open field of twenty to thirty candidates still. Um, so 
folks that you know are ready to get engaged, ready for 2020, I think you're going to have a full array of folks to pick from, um, from you know, women and men across the country, diverse you know, diverse candidates. And I and I think it's going to be really exciting. I mean, I'm excited for it. It's going to be it's going to be a really fun year. Uh, in terms of those two dropping out, mm-hmm. yesterday also Elizabeth Warren said she's working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, she said no deadline, but here she is. No timeline on it. I'm working on it right now. Working on it right now. Kamala Harris told us earlier in the week she's going to make a decision uh, during the holidays. Um, and uh, we found out yesterday that uh, Beto O'Rourke um, met with Barack Obama mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago right. to maybe pick up some tips from Barack Obama because he's yeah. compared to, you know, a lot, a right. lot compared to Barack Obama. Um, Sherrod Brown on the weekend and, and uh, let it known that he's seriously considering this and talking to his family about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, former Vice President Joe Biden yesterday, leaving little doubt, said, I am the most qualified person in the country to be president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have a full array, array of people getting in, and I think that's really exciting. Okay, so which one is the <laughs> DNC going to support? Oh, we will support the nominee that makes it out of the convention. That's what you said the last time. <laughs> well, this is a different administration under Tom Perez's leadership. We are fully fair, <laughs> transparent. Uh, we believe that whoever the voters decide, we, they will have our full support coming out of the convention. Um, and, you know, the, what the DNC's role is here is to make sure that we have, you know, fair debates, um, accessibility, uh, making sure that everyone has a, a voice uh, in, in the debate stage or, or elsewhere and um, making sure that we have a great convention. Um, and that that is our role. And also, you know, under Tom Perez's leadership, and I know you've spoken to Tom many times, um, you know, we are also focused on electing Democrats, not just the president, but Democrats are across the country. So next year we have uh, gubernatorial races coming up mm-hmm. and some state mm-hmm. legislative seats. 2020, again, the map is going to look pretty similar to 2018, not as many gubernatorial mansions up as as, uh, in 2018. So it's still going to be a busy cycle for us um, from the presidency all the way on down. And that's why Tom's phrase is from the school board to the Oval Office. And, you know, 2020, we have the real opportunity to take the White House back. So we're very excited by that. So in 2020, you're saying that the DNC will not be making any secret deals with any one candidate or helping raise, helping any one candidate raise money or uh, wink, 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 or encouraging people to support one candidate over another. There will be no wink, wink, winks. No, right. Absolutely. Total across the board. Everybody, Fairness, everybody gets a fair shot. Yep, that is, and that, and that's how it should be, right? All right. So one of the first uh, expressions of that, mm-hmm. which, and there were a lot of complaints about this in 2016, is the question of when, how many debates are held mm-hmm. and when they are held and in a sense where they are held, but particularly when and how many. Sure. What's the latest thinking on that? So uh, Tom has assembled a great team at the DNC that is working through this. What we saw from 2016, I think we learned our lessons, is that we just, we need more transparency and accountability. And I know I keep harping, harping on that, but that is something that Tom truly believes. Um, and so he's assembled a great senior team that is thinking through what the debate schedule should look like um, and, and when those should start. Nothing has been announced so far. I think uh, Tom said a, a few days ago to someone that, you know, they're, they're in talks with different networks about, you know, what a debate stage could look like, but there's not going to be, um, you know, there won't be 
just five debates, I think, as, as it was in yeah, 2016. Right. We need more. And um, we need to make sure that every candidate has uh, a platform to make their voice heard. Yeah. Particularly, it was uh, Martin O'Malley and mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders who, who complained the last time that there were so few debates. Uh, and um, it, it looked like it was, that decision was made, at least to um, benefit Hillary Clinton, who didn't want that many debates. And the, some of those debates were scheduled, you remember, on mm-hmm. like a Sunday night when the Sunday night football was on, or right. the times right. when you couldn't expect to get the largest possible audience. Yeah, I think um I think it's going to vary but, on on what when dates are and I think that also depends on networks. But at least the Democrats were able to get all their candidates on stage at the same time. Right. Unlike the Republicans. Yeah. Uh so let's say and it, it, this is not an exaggeration right yeah. now what were there Peter 15 Republicans last time 16 at the, at the max when they yeah. started? I forget. It was yeah. around that number, right? Yeah, it was. It was. It was up there. But yeah. they had to have two tiers, state, two tiers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Varsity and JV, with right. a chance to graduate from the JV <laughs> stage to right. the to only the big one stage. did. Right. Yeah, that's right. Carly, Carly Fiorina was the right. only one. But if if it turns out to be twenty, twenty one, mm-hmm. twenty two, which it could yeah. start out that way, what right. are you going to do? Have three stages? Well, I think it, that's there's no stage that... <laughs> big enough to hold them all. No. And if you did, by the time you everybody got an opening statement, the be, debate be, would be done. <laughs> Six yeah. hour debates. That's exactly. the answer. Right. Right. Who can stand for the pa- longest yeah. amount of yes, time? Yes, exactly. Put yeah. it on pay per view. Let's do it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I think that's something that Tom is thinking through. Uh, right now, of course, we don't know how many candidates are are going to officially announce, but uh, if it is twenty to thirty, um, that's something that. Tom and his team is working through on figuring out um, how to make it fair and how to make sure that, you know, every single voice is heard. And like you said, we can't have 20 people on a stage because right. you'd probably yeah. have opening statements and then you're an hour in and, you know, networks have to go to their next programming. And I don't think anyone wants to watch a, a program for six hours. The other um, thing that is um, that that has to be part of that conversation, I don't know how you deal with it, is I think generally and both parties do it this way you decide who the serious candidates are from who has the greater name recognition mm-hmm. which I understand that but at the same time there could be the best candidate might be today the person who has the least name recognition it's absolutely you know? true yeah and I think that's why you don't, Tom is you just don't know yeah. and to a certain extent you're it's unfair to say well since you're not as famous as Who's more famous than Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, right? right? right. Okay. I mean, you, we know who the most, the best known are. Right. I'm not taking anything away from them to say somebody who's not as well known today, Pete Buttigieg, might be a better mm-hmm. candidate than Joe Biden. And that's why I think Tom is uh, being really strategic and uh, and also really, and I know I keep saying this, but transparent and accountable. He, he's instilled that on the team that he's put together to make sure that this process is fair. We want... If it is Pete Buttigieg, uh, you know, and and Joe Biden, whoever it is, we want to make sure that everyone has equal time, equal, um, you know, airtime, and, you know, that no one feels like someone is being favored over someone else. Um, And so that's something that the team is really working on and um, is putting together. And I I don't have any announcements to make today, but um, I hope that, you know, um, I'll be getting back to you soon and back in the studio and we can talk more when, you know, when we have a finalized schedule, because I think it is really important to make sure that from the lesser known candidates to the, you know, the top, top names, um, everyone is equal. 
yeah. on, this, on you, the debate uh, stage. Well, we focus so much on the Congress and on the presidency, but you, you, I did want to come back to just a, mm-hmm. the minute we have left, and you've referenced a couple of times the two, which I thought was hugely significant, picking up seven governorships yeah. this year. That's huge. In terms of 2020 building toward 20 and the next census and the next reapportionment. Exactly. I mean, like you said, the next census. key states, too. Yeah. I I mean, talk about an unfair playing field with what Republicans did with redistricting and just gerrymandering the maps. Uh, We have seven states now back under Democratic control in severely gerrymandered states from Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Kansas. So, you know, we are going to we are very excited that these governors are going to be there. They are the first line of defense against pushing back against this administration as well. You know, at the end of the day, these governors are going to implement the law of the land, which is the ACA. They are going to draw fair lines for um, their constituents and make sure that minorities are not disenfranchised um, from voting at the ballot box. And so um, we are very excited. We've expanded the map. And, you know, 2019, 2020, we have more uh, pickup opportunities and we just need people to get out and vote. Yeah. It's an exciting time, right? Right out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak, out of yes. 2018 midterms into the uh, 2020 and the build up to that uh, under the leadership of the uh, Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez and Sabrina Singh, Deputy Communications Director. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks for having Happy me. Happy holidays if we don't see you again. You too. Uh, you can follow, of course, at Democrats.org. And that's it for Wednesday, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Come on back. We'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.